0: Welcome to Tuned to Yesterday, broadcasting programs from radio's golden years. I'm your host, Mark Lavonier, and this hour, Sci Fi. Later on, X 1 from 1957. But first, The Mysterious Traveler with the story, The Big Brain, a mutual broadcasting system episode from March 14, 1950.
1: The
2: Mutual
3: Broadcasting System presents... The Mysterious Traveler... Written, produced, and directed by Robert A. Arthur and David Cogan. And starring tonight, two of radio's foremost personalities... Leon Janney and Marilyn Erskine... In The Big Brain.
4: This is The Mysterious Traveler... Inviting you to join me... On another journey into the realm of the strange and the terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip, that it will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So settle back, get a good grip on your nerves, and be comfortable, if you can, as you hear the story I call The Big Brain. My story begins in one of the manufacturing plants of the Worldwide Business Machines Corporation. In one wing of the plant is housed the huge laboratories of the company, where newly designed and experimental calculating machines are built and tested. It is evening, and the vast laboratory with its long rows of intricate-looking machines is deserted, except for a young university professor, Lester DeWitt. Tall, lanky, and in his early thirties, DeWitt stands before a massive machine that dwarfs all others in the laboratory. Swiftly, efficiently, he presses tabulating keys on the control board, oblivious of all else.
5: 3.521 to the eighth digit. 74.3 to the third digit. 74.56 to the fourth digit. Is that you, nice. Professor Dewitt? Hmm? Oh, uh, yes, Pop. I'm at the Big Brain. Six point five two seven to the fourth digit. Now well, you've brought your visitor, Professor. Hmm? No, uh visitor, <gasps> Julia.
6: Well, I'm glad to see that you at least remember my name.
7: Of course, Professor. I'm not supposed to allow anyone in here but our engineers and university people like yourself. But I figured seeing you and hers engaged. Thanks, Pop. That's all right. Joy,
5: seeing young people get together. Oh, Julia, I'm terribly sorry. I I, I forgot completely. Were, were you waiting long?
6: Only a half hour. By then, I realized I'd been
5: stood up. Oh, well, I'm, honestly, Julia, I, I... I had no idea it was so late. I... I decided to run a test at 5.30 and then and, and be, be, be finished by my 6. <laughs> 6.30 at the latest, and then... And, and... If
6: you can only see your face. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you you
5: aren't angry with me.
6: No, no, I'm not angry. I'll just have to accept you for what you are, an absent-minded professor. Hmm. Well, so this is my arrival. I've never seen such a huge machine.
5: Mm. It weighs over 50 tons.
6: 50 tons? That's right. The staff here at the plant calls it the big brain.
5: It's the only one of its kind in the world, Julia.
6: Lester, those thousands of keys, levers, do you know what each one of them is for? Oh
5: yes, of course. Oh, Oh, look at it. Do you realize that the big brain can calculate elliptical integrals?
6: Is that good?
5: Good. Why, human mind has never been able to solve elliptical integrals. There have been no methods of solution, but this machine can. Oh the big brain, Julia, can solve in a few seconds a problem that would take a scientist a lifetime to work out.
7: (laughs) There's one thing your big brain can do, Professor.
5: No? What's that?
7: It can take this racing sheet and talk about the winners of tomorrow's races.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Still playing the horses, eh, Pop?
7: Yep. Not doing so good, either. Well, I gotta make me rounds. Nice talking to you, young folks. Good
6: night, Mr. Collins. Good night, night, Pop. Oh, I really should be jealous of that machine, Les. A certain light appears in your eyes when you speak of it. Sometimes I think that you care more for that.
5: But you really don't believe that. Mm.
6: Mm. Mm, no, not really. <sighs> hey,
5: look, Pop left his racing paper behind.
6: <laughs> what are you looking through it for?
5: Hmm? Well, I—I've never read a racing sheet before. Yeah, it's interesting. Very interesting. You know, this racing sheet is a treasury of facts. Why, in each race alone, there are over a thousand facts to be taken into consideration. Yes.
6: Now, Les, you aren't going to spend the rest of the night studying that paper, are you?
5: I had always been inclined to think that horse racing was a matter of sheer luck. That isn't so at all. Look at all the information that's available in this paper. I can't understand why Pop thought the big brain couldn't calculate the winners of these races.
6: You mean... You think it could?
5: I see no reason why it shouldn't be able to, in view of all these facts we have on past performances.
6: Lester, you aren't serious, are you?
5: Of course I am. Would you like to try it as an experiment?
6: An experiment?
5: Yes. We'll put all these facts through the machine.
6: Oh, this I have to see, by all means.
5: All right. First, it's a matter of learning what all these abbreviations and symbols stand for. Then... Yes? It's merely a matter of your reading the facts on past performances and my feeding it to the machine.
6: Going away, $9.50, Flying Ghost. Flying Ghost. October
4: 5th, 1949.
6: October 5th,
5: 1949.
6: Belmont Park. Hmm? Three year olds and up. Yeah. Claiming. $5,000.
1: $5, a
6: mile and an eighth. Yeah. 120 pounds. Jockey Riker. Track fast. fast. Post position fourth. fourth. Start sixth.
1: Yeah.
6: Quarter fourth. Yeah. Half fourth. Three quarters third. third. Mile third. Stretch third, finish third, Mm -hmm. two lengths... Two lengths. Driving, $5.20.
5: $5.20.
6: That does it. Eight races. Now that you've given all the facts to the machine, what's next?
5: I pull this lever. And the calculator goes to work.
1: Good Lord.
6: How long does it take?
5: It's just a matter of seconds.
6: I
1: mean,
5: do you really think it'll work? Work? Of course. Unless the machine breaks down. And as you can see, it's working perfectly. There. Yeah. The solution has been attained.
6: Well, where is it?
5: I merely have to pull this lever, and it will be printed on a sheet of paper and ejected at this point here. Watch. There.
6: Well, let me see it. Uh, first race winner, yet a deer. Place, Speeding Folly, Show, Quaker Girl. And it has the results of the other races as well. Naturally. And these horses are the winners?
5: Oh, yes, no question of that. Tomorrow night, we'll buy an evening paper with the racing results, and you'll see for yourself. Les. Yes?
6: If you're so sure that these are the winners, why not make a small bet on the first race?
8: A small bet?
6: Yes. Bet $2 to win on Yetadier in the first race. Then if yet a dear wins, as you say she will, put all the winnings on the second race, then the third, fourth, fifth. But, but,
5: but I, I couldn't do that. Why not? Well, it wouldn't be ethical. Oh. I'm here from the university as a guest of this company.
6: Oh, now let's stop being stuffy. We've been saving for a year now to get married. If the machine is right, we can win enough money to buy all our furniture. Who knows? Maybe even a house.
5: Oh, I'm sorry, Julia, but I'm afraid I couldn't. Oh,
6: why are you so stubborn? Who could it possibly harm? And think of what it would mean to us.
5: Well, yes, I know. Oh,
6: please. Don't. Uh,
5: uh, pardon me. Where can I make a, a two-dollar wager?
8: All right here, friend.
5: What's your pleasure? My pleasure.
1: Yeah.
5: Oh. Oh. Well, I uh. I- I'd like to bet on Yetta, dear, in the first race at Hialeah. Two bucks? Yes, please. All right, here you are. <laughs> Yetta,
8: dear, paid 620. Here you are.
5: Thank you. I- I'd now like to bet $6 to win on Morning Glory in the second race at Hialeah.
8: Six on the nose of Morning Glory. That's right. Okay, you're covered.
7: Here he is, boss. Come in, Professor DeWitt. Come in. I'm Victor King. Oh. How do you know who I am? It's my business to know the names of the people who patronize my establishments. All right, Steve. That'll be all.
8: Okay, boss. I'll be outside. Wait.
7: Well, I understand, Professor, that you selected the winners of eight straight races. And that I owe you $24,250. Yes. That's right. You'll find that I'm a businessman who pays off promptly. $1,000 bills be all right? Uh, yes. Yes, of course. Tell me, eight winners, uh, what do you attribute it to?
5: Oh, just luck.
7: Luck, huh? Hmm. Here you are. 24250 What's wrong? Uh, Lose something? I'm, I, uh... My wallet. I, I can't seem to find it. Oh, yes. Your wallet. I have it here. Huh? Must have dropped it a little while ago in the racing room. One of my men found it and turned it over to me. Naturally, I had to go through it to find out who the owner was.
5: Yes, I, uh... I, I suppose so.
7: Besides $17, there are a number of things in it. Driver's license, a state university faculty card, a pass for admittance to the technical laboratory of worldwide business machines... And this sheet of paper.
4: Oh. Oh, yes.
7: That. Very interesting, Professor. Has listed a selection of wind place, and shows for today's eight races at ILEA. Strangely enough, every horse in this list came in exactly as selected. How'd you explain
5: that, Professor? I don't have to explain it. Now, if you'll be so good as to return my wallet and everything that was in it...
7: I'm sorry, I... Professor, but I'm afraid you'll have to play ball. Whether you want to or not. What do you mean? Sit down, Professor, and I'll tell you. Sit down, Professor. Yes. That's it. Now we can
5: really get on to business. And then, Julia, he showed me pictures that had been taken of me in the racing room. Half a dozen of them, all showing me making bets. Oh, no. Yes. Why, Why he even had a camera hidden in the wall of his penthouse office, which filmed everything I said and did up in that penthouse.
6: What? he was just laying a trap for you.
5: Yes, he certainly was.
6: But you, you didn't tell him how you'd gotten the winners of the races today?
5: No, no, but i I think he suspects. He found my wallet, and in it, the pass to the laboratory of worldwide business machines. And he saw the sheet with the names of the winners printed on it.
6: And he demands that you give him the winners of every day's races?
5: Yes, yes. It's blackmail. Pure and simple. He has all the evidence he needs.
6: But, Lester, if you were to go to the university officials, the president of Worldwide Business Machines... It would be the
5: end of my academic career. You know how the university is about such things. They'd regard my use of of the big brain as, as dishonesty. Worse. Oh,
6: it's all my fault, all my fault. It was I who made you bet on those horses. Oh, no,
5: no, nonsense, darling. If, if I really hadn't wanted to, you, you couldn't have made me. But, Les, what are you going to do? What can I do? I've got to supply King with the winners. If I don't, he'll expose me, ruin my career. <laughs>
7: a cigar, Professor? Drink?
5: No.
1: I'm no,
7: feeling you. good. Really good. Three days in a row, all the winners at higher layer. Yes, sir, I'm feeling good. By the way, I'm putting your share of the winnings aside, Professor.
5: It now amounts to 46000
7: You can have it any time you want. It.
5: I told you before, I don't want any part of that money. My purpose in coming here was to explain to you that I can no longer go on with it. You can't go on with it. Why not? How can I expect you to understand the matter of ethics? Ethics?
7: You can't. All I'm interested in is money. Now, listen to me, Professor. You're going on supplying me with winners. We're playing this out to the finish. The... Finish? When will that be? I'll let you know. Now, today is Monday. I'm figuring on flying out to Santa Anita in a few days for the big handicap on Saturday. I want you to dope out the winners as soon as possible. I'm figuring on making a real killing at the track. I won't do it. Now, Professor, we don't have to go over that again. Yeah, I see we do. Okay, Professor, I'll put it on the line. Straight, no trimmings. Sit down. This might take a little time.
5: Subway 15. 47 flights. A, 22 flights. B, 10 flights. C, 9 flights. D, 6 flights. Total 47.
6: Lester, so here you are. Huh? I've tried to find you everywhere.
5: Oh. Oh, hello, Julie. I
6: phoned you at home and the university. Then I thought I'd come here. Did you see Victor King?
5: Yes. I saw him.
6: Oh, what did he say? I mean, when you told him you were through with him.
5: He said that isn't the way he plays ball. It seems I have to play his way. Or else. Oh, Les. Mr. King is a master of blackmail. Well,
6: Les, what are these hundreds of books? What are you doing?
5: These are flight records of the different airlines that fly to the West Coast. These records go back five years.
6: What are you doing with them?
5: I'm entering these records into the big brain, trying an experiment. I don't know whether or not it'll work.
6: What kind of an experiment?
5: I'm attempting to find out if the big brain, given all available flight information, can determine the date and time of a future plane crash.
6: A future plane crash? Yes, but why?
5: Victor King is going to fly to California within the next few days. As yet, he hasn't decided what flight he's taking.
6: Well, what has that got to do... less?
5: Why not? What else can I fight back with? Maybe this whole experiment is crazy, but but if the big brain can determine future plane crashes, and if one is due to occur within the next five days, I'm going to do my best to see to it that Victor King is on that plane.
6: What you're doing is insane. Maybe.
5: Time will tell. You
6: must listen to me. You've got to go to the university officials and make a clean breast of things. I'm sure that fellow.
5: There. The solution has been attained.
6: Let me see it. Flight 106, Universal Airlines, 4.30 p.m. New York to Los Angeles... Crash, 631, near Canton, Ohio, February 24th.
5: February 24th. That's this Friday. And King wants to be in California Saturday for the races.
6: Lester, this information, it can't be right, can it?
5: It's the law of averages, Julia. Scientists, given all the facts, can work out an approximation of accidents. The big brain has the ability to pinpoint facts, calculate them to a degree beyond the human mind. And reach a definite conclusion.
6: You mean... There's no question about it. Flight 106 will crash February 24th.
5: The big brain hasn't been wrong as yet. Though there's always a first time, of course.
6: But, Les, if there's a possibility of that plane crashing, we've got to go to the airline and warn them.
5: If I went to them and told them, gentlemen, I believe that flight 106 on February 24th is going to crash, what do you think they would say? They'd have me placed under mental observation. But
6: Les, if that plane crashes, killing innocent people. You, you'd you never forgive yourself.
5: What's going to be will be. I can't prevent that which is ordained to happen.
6: And you're going to try to see to it that Victor King is on flight 106?
5: Yes. Come what may, I've got to make sure he's on that flight.
7: professor. This is Victor King.
5: Yes, Mr. King.
7: It's already Wednesday afternoon. Why haven't I received the winners of Saturday's races at Santa Anita?
5: I'm afraid I can't have them for you until Friday afternoon around four. Why not? I've got to have last minute scratches and other information to be able to calculate the winners.
7: Friday afternoon? It doesn't give me much time to get to Santa Anita.
5: Why don't I meet you at the airport Friday afternoon at four o'clock. There's a 4.30 plane to California. Flight 106. Get you there at midnight.
7: Flight 106, huh? There's 4.30. That sounds all right.
5: Then I'll meet you at the airport at four o'clock.
7: Good. I'll be expecting you.
5: Don't worry, King. I'll be there. Uh, There's the gate for flight 106 straight ahead.
6: Lester, I wish you wouldn't go through with it. Won't you please go to the airline? Tell them that there's a a chance 106 may crash.
5: I told you, Julia, they'd only think I was insane. I'm quiet now. There's King standing at the gate with his bodyguard. Well, Professor,
7: you're getting it rather fine, aren't you?
5: It's
7: already 425. The plane's ready to leave. I was delayed by traffic. Here's
5: the list of winners for tomorrow's races.
7: Good. Walk me to the plan. I want to talk to you. All right. Hey. Big race tomorrow. Citation isn't the winner? That's right. <laughs> oh, this is perfect. Perfect. All the big money will be on Citation. Will we
6: clean up? Oh, passengers,
1: please get aboard. Good sure
7: thing, honey. Professor, I've got a little surprise for you and your girlfriend. Surprise? Yes, that's right. Me and here are taking you with us. We're going to show you the time of your life. Yes, sir. But but we, we can't go. I, I I have classes. What are you talking about? This is Friday. We'll have you back by Monday. Now get aboard.
6: But we haven't any clothes. Yes,
7: you have. I brought along clothes for both of you. Everything's been taken care of. <laughs> you two are going. We have to carry you, boy. No. No, I, I won't go. Look, I went I I a great trouble to fix up this trip, and you're going. Get her on that plane, Steve. But can't
5: you understand?
1: Stop! Oh, not put me down. I don't want to go.
5: Tell him to put her down. Come back. Julia! Okay, Stewardess.
7: They're going aboard. Tell the pilot we're all set. Let's go.
5: Les, what time is this? Julia, stop asking me the time every minute. I just told you. What's
9: the
7: matter with you two? Don't you like flying? Been sitting on the edge of your seats ever since we took off. Yeah, you think they were going to a funeral instead of California. And the best time they ever had.
6: Les, <laughs> I can't stand this much longer. You've got to tell them. It's our only chance. Tell them? <laughs> yes.
5: Maybe you're right. King. What is it, Professor? Come a little closer. I've got something to tell you.
4: Sure. What is it? This plane going to crash at 6.31. Crash? What
7: are you talking about? You heard me. The plane is going to crash. I like a joke, but that's not funny. It's
6: not a joke. Can't you see But he's serious?
7: How do you know the plane is going to crash?
6: Same way I found
7: out about the winners. The big brain. If you aren't leveling with me, I'll... Yes, you are. You're scared. Really scared. I'm getting scared, too. Why'd you let us in for this? You must have known before we got on this plane... Oh, I guess. You didn't figure on me taking you along. Of course, we've got to do something. Yeah, I'll settle with you two later. Come on, Steve.
5: What are you going to do? You'll see.
7: Have your gun ready, Steve. we make making the pilot set us down, but fast. Yeah, yeah, sure. Here's what we take over. Why,
8: I'm sorry, sir, but passengers aren't allowed up here. Steve.
7: A gun. Yeah. Now listen, bright boy, you and your little playmate here are going to set this plane down, but fast. What for? Because I say, son. I don't argue. Land this plane. Well,
8: the nearest airfield's 20 minutes away, and it can't... Shut pack. up. Set
7: it down now. This minute. Make an emergency landing. You must be out of your mind. Steve, count to five. If he doesn't start putting down, give it to the co-pilot. Right. One, two, three, four.
8: Okay.
5: You're calling it. Pete, give me a read. Speed, 240 mph. Altitude, 4500.
8: As we come over this mountain, there's a large field. We'll try to set down on it.
5: Roger. Don't let stall, boss. We've got to get down. Oh,
8: uh, yeah. Come on. Put this plane down. Mister, if you want to take over, just say the word. Give
5: me a reading, Pete. Speed, 255 mph. Altitude, 2,000 feet.
8: It's getting dark fast. we better circle the field a couple of times. do huh?
5: cycle. Just land.
8: Pete, give it to the passengers over the PA.
5: Roger. We are now preparing to land. Passengers are asked to remain calm. Please fasten all safety belts.
8: You two guys better go back to your seats fasten your belts.
5: It's going to be a rough landing. Yeah, but it's all the same, you'll stay
7: right here, where we can keep an eye on you. Suit yourself.
8: You don't mind
7: if Pete and
5: me strap ourselves in, do you?
7: Cut the chatter and land!
5: Give me a reading, Pete. Speed, 230 mph. Altitude, 800 feet. Flaps down. Lights down.
8: Landing gear down.
5: Landing gear down.
8: Landing lights on.
5: Landing lights on. Reading. Speed, 180 miles. Altitude, 500 feet. Speed, 145. Altitude, 200 feet. 135. 125. 115. 95. Down. 80. 70. Bob, there's a drainage ditch across the field. Take her up!
8: Too late. Hang on.
6: Just lie quietly, Les. Yeah. Um, Julia. Julia, where am I? You're in a hospital. Huh? You've been unconscious almost three hours. Yeah. But the doctor says you'll be up in a few days. Well,
5: the plane crash. Yes. Julia, are you all right?
6: I was just shaken up, nothing else. Oh.
5: Back to King. What about him?
6: King and his bodyguard, Steve... Were killed. Killed? Yes. When the plane crashed, they were up front without safety belts.
5: Anybody else killed?
6: No, a half dozen were hurt, but they'll all live.
5: Hmm. So King is dead? Yes. Hmm. That means we're free, Julia. He was the only one who knew about the big brain the way I was getting those winners.
6: Yes, Les, we're free.
5: (laughs) Strange. The big brain picked the winners, but it was wrong about the plane crash. Wrong? Uh, Yes. After all, the only reason the plane crashed was because King forced the pilot to make an emergency landing.
6: You're overlooking just one fact, Les. What? The plane crashed... At 6.31 p.m., the exact moment that the big brain said it would. How do you explain that,
1: Professor?
4: This is the mysterious traveler again. Yes, young Professor DeWitt had a good deal to ponder about while he recovered in the hospital. Would a plane crash have occurred if Victor King hadn't forced the pilot to make an emergency landing? Or was that the crash the big brain predicted? It's hard to say, but one thing is certain. Professor DeWitt, for some strange reason, has lost all scientific interest in the big brain. Oh, that reminds me of next week's story, The Dark Underworld. It's about a strange old man who lives half his life in the maze of sewers beneath the streets of Manhattan, and he discovers it. Oh, you'll have to get off here. I'm sorry. I'm sure we'll meet again. I take this same train every week at this same time.
3: You have just heard The Mysterious Traveller, which is played by Maurice Tarplin. In the cast were Leon Janney, Marilyn Erskine, Santos Ortega, and John Marley. Original music was composed and played by Al Phinep. This is Bob Emmerich speaking. All characters in our story were fictitious, and any resemblance to the names of actual persons was purely coincidental. This is The Mutual Broadcasting System.
0: Mysterious Traveler, on tuned to yesterday from the 14th of March, 1950, on the Mutual Broadcasting System. Barney Beck behind the sound effects for that episode, not credited too much, as many sound effects men weren't during radio's past. But he did have a notable string of performances while working with the Shadow Radio Show in 1947 and 48. This is an hour of science fiction, on to yesterday. I'm your host, Mark Levinier. Now, time for X minus one with the story: A Wind Is Rising. An NBC episode from October 3rd,
3: 1957. Countdown for blast off. X minus 5, 4, 3, 2, X minus 1, fire. horizons of the unknown come tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company presents
1: X X, 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 minus minus, 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 minus one, 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 one.
3: Wind is Rising by Finn O'Donovan.
10: But first, hear this. And now, how's about discussing a few interesting facts about your United States government? Did you know that it is actually possible to become president of the United States without being elected to that office? That's not as difficult as it sounds. All you have to do is hold down a special job in Congress or be a member of the president's cabinet. Of course, you also have to meet the other presidential qualifications of age, birth, and residence. The law which determines the order of presidential succession specifies that the vice president shall assume the presidency in the event the president dies. Next in order is the Speaker of the House, followed by the president pro tem of the Senate. Then, if for any reason these men are not available, the cabinet members are set up in line to take over the White House duties. First is the Secretary of State, followed by the Secretaries of the Treasury and Defense. Then come the Attorney General, the Postmaster General, and so on down the line through the Secretaries of the Interior, Agriculture, Commerce, and Labor. After the list of cabinet members is exhausted, it would be necessary to have an election. Up to the present time, however, the presidential succession has never gone past the office of vice president. But you might find it interesting to learn how this phase of your United States government works.
3: Minus one. And a wind is rising.
11: I'd only been on Corella for eight months. Not long for a seasoned advanced exploration man like myself, but long enough to know one thing. Before long, I was going to kill me a native Corellan. Maybe I was a little edgy. When you have to live inside a steel and concrete capsule just listening to that fantastic wind howl 24 hours a day, it begins to get you. Anyway, it started with Smanek. He was our Corellan radio man, came up to my quarters to get me. Corellans are a dirty brown and look something like big spiders with five hairy tentacles.
9: Yeah? Smanic Earthman. Well? Other Earthman. Tell Smanak, tell this surf man, come pretty quick. Okay. You got lump sugar. What for? that do something favor. Get lump sugar. No, I don't have sugar. Now beat it. Maybe you got dead meat. Smanak, like dead meat? No, no meat. Now get your slimy shape out of Lincoln. here. Wait. Yeah, what's wrong?
11: Come on down with me. I don't think it's good to insult these Corellans. They have no feelings, you know that. They have no emotional nervous setup. Just the same, I don't think it's good. For who? For you. When you insult somebody by your own standards, you hurt yourself. Even if the object of your insult is a dead thing. Now, look, Mary Chev, I'm an advanced exploration expert. You're an anthropologist. You stick to your stuff, and I'll stick to mine. Sorry. Now, what's the fuss about? The water faucet. What about it? It isn't running. What? I pounded it and put a probe in. It must be blocked out at the storage tank. How could it be blocked out there? I don't know. Maybe the wind rolled a boulder at it. More likely, one of those spiders like Smanek was fiddling with it. The natives have been told not to tamper with the water line. They don't like us. They might. I thought you said they were incapable of feeling like or dislike or any emotion. I did. I know they can't feel, but... Still, somehow, I get the sensation that they resent us. I'm glad we've only got one of them inside the station. Regardless of that, we can't live with our water supply cut off. Oh, listen to that wind. It'll be murder out there. I'll go. It's my turn. You wouldn't know what to do if you got there. It seems quite simple. Now, come to think of it, it could be a two man job if there's a boulder. The wind gauge reads 82 miles an hour. Huh. Just a light breeze on Corella. Maybe we ought to wait till it drops a little. Let's ask the gink. Why don't we take him along? The gink? He knows the terrain, and like all his kind, he's a fantastic sailor. But they take those woven landboats out in 100-mile winds with no qualms at all. The brute weighs 14 tons, and it has a diesel engine. We don't need any sailors. If we have to use a steadying sail, I can handle it as well as any Spider-Man. Just a suggestion. You stick to anthropology. Open the locks, and we'll get the brute out. We'll need Smonek to close the locks after us.
9: Smonek! Eggman call! Clayton and I are going out in the heavy land car... What's the weather going to be like? Wind come up along little more. Not anything to be afraid. You got sugar? Oh, here you are, Spannick. Very good sailing today. You got sail on truck. We have a steadying sail, made of steel. Woven reeds, more better. A more easy time. We know all about that. Open the lock, Mary <laughs>
11: The Brute, as we called it, was armored like a tank and streamlined. It had vision slits of shatterproof glass, and most of its 14 tons were centered near the ground. It was sealed from dust and had six giant tires made of woven steel mesh. It was built to take the rocky terrain of the planet Corella and to navigate in the gale force winds that battered the planet. I strapped myself into the cockpit, and we were ready. The wind indicator told me that the winds had risen to 94 miles an hour and rising. I looked out over the instrument panel the Corella station had been set down like an overturned bowl on a rocky plain. In order to get to the water storage tank, we had to travel six miles. Immediately around the station were our boulder baffles, huge spikes of concrete designed to stop the boulders that the wind rolled off the mountains. I shoved the brute into gear, and we were on our way. Hang on, Narashev. Here we go. is up to 97. Do you suppose we're in for a storm? The gink said it was fine sailing weather. For a Corellon, maybe. Well, this baby can take it. You see the pipeline yet? The sand is pretty thick in the vision glass. We... There it is. About two points on the starboard bow. Uh, I see it now. What's our speed? Three miles an hour. Give us a little more oxygen in here. What? Right. Hey, there's something coming toward us. Looks like a boulder. Hard right! That was no boulder. That was one of those ginks out for a sail in his land ship. Playful, aren't they? Next one scares us like that. I'll shoot him, so help me. I don't understand how they can sail those flimsy ships on those wooden rollers. What's our wind speed now? 102 miles an hour. I think it's going to be a storm, Clay. There's no point in turning back now. We can't live without water. I'm game if you are. What's the strongest storm we've ever recorded? Uh, Let's see. In the eight months we've been here, about hundred and sixty-eight miles an hour. Well, this baby was built to navigate up to two hundred. We'll be all right. We had had two storms on Corella since Earthmen had been there. The first one had almost wiped out the station. That's why the boulder traps were built. The second one had leveled an entire mountain range on the other end of the plain. By the time we reached the water storage tanks, the wind was up to 113 miles an hour. Well, this is it. One of us has got to put on an air suit and repair the damage. It means blowing out the line. It's my turn. <laughs> what do you know about mechanical things? I'll go out. Pass that nylon rope to me and winch it as I go along. I'll anchor the brood in the lee of the concrete breaker. Maybe you ought to wait till the wind dies down. It isn't dying down, it's rising. We can radio Smanic at the station and get a report. <laughs> you think you'll give us a straight answer? I trust him. Hello, Smanek. This is Nereshev calling Smanic.
2: This Smanic, Earthman.
11: How long is this wind going to keep up?
9: Long time. Maybe even longer.
11: More than two hours? Okay. Clayton is going out to fix the pipe. We'll be back in an hour if everything holds. Okay. Well, I'm ready. Lock my helmet. Can you hear me? Yes.
2: Okay. Open the chamber. Here I go.
11: Outside, the wind thundered and roared like breaking surf. Once I was almost blown free, but the line held. By the time I crawled back into the ship, I'd cleared the water lines, but my suit was shredded and my air extractor was clogged with dust. The wind was up to 145 miles an hour and still rising. You all right? Yeah. All right, let's get this thing going. It's starting to shiver in the wind. Right. wrong? I can't start the engine. Here, let me try. Mm, sand. Sand in the bearings in the injectors every place. She'll never start. Good grief. Well, we'll have to sail her back. What? I said we'll have to sail her back at wind speeds like this. It'll be like sailing a little dinghy across the Atlantic in a gale. But what else can we do? We'll Put out the auxiliary anchor and ride it out. No, no, no. One good boulder and we'd be goners. Come on, raise the sail. Okay. Release anchors. Hang on. Here we go. The steel sail and tacked into the wind. Shoved by a wind that had now reached 175 miles an hour. The 14 ton brute soon picked up to a speed of 40 miles an hour. Even reefed down and heeled over, I couldn't hold her. And I had to winch out the steel main sheet to straighten her up. Then it began to happen. The thing we feared the most. What's that? The wind is tossing rocks at us. Yeah. Well, as long as we're not capsized, we'll be okay. She's healing at forty-five now. It's no problem. So, Rock, smash the visor. Put on your oxygen mask.
2: Wait. ahead. Let's drag the emergency anchor. Maybe it'll
1: slow us down. Suppose it fouls. Worry about that later. Drag it. That's
2: better. I may even be able to head her up now. Those cliffs. Holy smoke, look at that. A dozen Coral and landships sailing toward the station like it was a fine afternoon. But they usually keep away from the station. There's no time to worry now. Watch in the sheet. I'm gonna head up higher. Snap the master. Holy mother. We're being blown toward the cliffs. Is that land anchor out? Yes. Oh, we'll pray it'll foul and hold us. Pray. Oh, Father. What? We're fouled. Yeah. And it's holding. Now if it'll just bite in, I think we're anchored. But listen to those boulders. We won't last ten minutes anchored here. Oh, over. Why? I'm going to try the diesel again. I don't know. Maybe it's a long shot, but maybe.
11: how the engine coughed and spit us back to the station. The Boulder defense was completely flattened and one side of the capsule was dented by a huge rock, but otherwise it was still holding. The winds were up to 212 miles an hour at the time. A dozen Corella landships were moored by their long vines on the lee side of the station, and more ships were coming in every minute. We slid into the tube and
9: entered the capsule. Welcome, Earthmen. You have nice say.
2: Shut up, you crummy gink. Earthmen
9: not pleased. You told us the weather would hold. Old Corellan saying one can predict weather, but not do something about it. Very true. Yeah. We almost died out there. You wouldn't have been planning anything like that, would you? Smanner,
11: no, understand. No? Well, do you understand this? <laughs>
9: Now, get out of here. Get out before I blow your ugly head off with this gun. Very difficult for Schmanek to be without head. Impossible to eat sugar or dead meat for almost three weeks... before new head grow. Schmanek join his people now for summer festival. Now, you do that. Pronto. Wait a minute, Schmanek. Did you say summer festival? Oh, yes. Ancient Karelin festival. When summer ends, we go sail away to caverns in Far West. Caverns? Yes. We live in caverns for three months. In that way, we have safety. Safety? From what? From winds. After summer is over, come winter storms. First storm of year about to start... In a moment now. About to start. What do you
11: call what we've been having? The the wind is 238 miles an hour right now. The brute's
9: ruined, the boulder defense is leveled, the foundations are cracked. Very regrettable. Perhaps you'd like to come stay with us in caverns. Bring sugar. Impossible. We need oxygen, food, our own water. Very regrettable indeed. Well... Maybe you don't stay and colonize our planet after all. Yes. Really big wind starting to rise now. Smanak, go. Goodbye, Smanak. Thanks for your help. Smanak, do favor. Glad to help. You got sugar...
3: Just heard X Minus One, presented by the National Broadcasting Company. X Minus One has brought you A Wind Is Rising, a story written by Finn O'Donovan and adapted for radio by George Lefferts. Featured in our cast were Les Damon as Clayton, Bert Cowlin as Nereshev, and William Griffiths as Smanic. This is Fred Collins. X-Minus-One was directed by George Bootsos and is an NBC Radio Network production. We pause now for station identification.
0: X-1 on Tuned to Yesterday from October 3rd, 1957 on NBC. And that closes this hour of science fiction on Tuned to Yesterday. Be sure to be with us next time for more great programs from radios past. Until our next hour together, I'm Mark Lebonier. Thanks for tuning in.